Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's binary episode of the Day Zero podcast. I'm Spectre with me as Z. Today, we have some exploits targeting XNU, uh, a Chrome heap overflow, and uh, one or two other things mixed in there. But as always, first, Z will cover the Spot the Vuln solution for the week. And this week's Spot the Vuln uh, may be familiar if you watch our uh, bounty episodes, as this was uh, largely inspired by one of the vulnerabilities we covered last week, which was the MyBB SQL injection. Um, as a Spot the Vuln, I'm going to be honest, I felt like I should have maybe added a little bit more. So there's a little bit more for you to look at and try and spot the Vuln. There aren't a lot of places or a lot of things that can go wrong in this one. Uh, but what I've got here is. Uh, Bit of code that does a for each over a post parameter, this custom profile field, gets the column, gets the input um, as the key value. Uh, does a check if it's string in the in the loop. It's checking if the input is a string. If it's not a string, it just continues on. So only dealing with string values here. Um, then it just checks as long as it's not empty. It'll append to this user field SQL. Just appends an end. Uh, then goes a uh, Database calls the escape string method on the column, like starts a single quote percent. So for the uh, like queries using the wildcards as percents, um, and then puts the results from another database uh, escape string this time of the input into those quotes. The problem here you may notice is that um, if you take a look at the like call, so the second database uh, escape string call notice that there's the single quote so that's kind of wrapping the output of escape string the idea being escape string will escape whatever the input is to be placed inside of a string inside of a sql statement the problem here is that the um, escape string for the column isn't in quotes oftentimes columns aren't quoted but that also means that escape string here is doing very little or nothing it might be escaping a few things but it's not inside of the strings context so you can still include like a space and then go into you know some completely other condition as long as you're not using a character that's going to try and escape you're basically injecting whatever sql keywords or comments that you want giving you a fairly straightforward sql injection the actual case in my bb Definitely had a little bit more code and was slightly different. Didn't do like the uh, if string check, but this was fundamentally the same issue. I copied a lot of this code, honestly. All right, so jumping into some topics. Up first, we have a news post by Google on OSS Fuzz and the expansion of its rewards program. For those unaware of what OSS Fuzz is, it's basically a Google project to, to fuzz open source projects. It debuted back in the end of 2016 uh, and provides like large scale fuzzing for open source projects that they accept. And it's community driven. Uh, so you can contribute, you know, projects and harnesses in and whatnot. And uh, shortly after it debuted, they established a rewards program to incentivize people to contribute projects to it. Um, there is some criteria there. They have to be, you know, critical to like IT infrastructure and, and have a large user base. Uh, and the payout was determined on how good your integration was. So you would get like a 1K base payout for integrating a project. And then with bonuses, you could get 5K for integrating with sanitizer support, an additional 5K for like efficiency and coverage, and another 5K for maintaining it and updating the corpus. And then finally, uh, 
an additional 5k bonus for projects they think go you know above and beyond or whatever um so you could get up to twenty thousand for for an ideal integration uh now they're expanding that reward program to cover more types of contributions uh so that includes things like increasing coverage uh and what they call notable fuzzbench fuzzer integrations i i don't know precisely what they mean by that um you, they might have a bit more information like on oss fuzz itself uh, and then the other thing is integrating a new sanitizer that finds at least two vulnerabilities so some pretty cool changes coming and and might give some of you out there a potential project to work on that pays decently if you're looking for something to do um they also talk about some tools and frameworks in this post that might be useful to you like for doing this stuff, such as uh, Fuzz Introspector and uh, Fuzz Test. Fuzz Introspector is kind of neat, actually. It tries to provide insights on like where you should work on improving coverage based on like code complexity and things like that. But yeah, I mean, mainly what this post is talking about is just expanding the scope of the rewards program for OSS Fuzz. Uh, it is a cool idea, and I think it is a, a valuable project for security as a whole. So yeah, yeah I mean, uh, OSS Fuzz honestly feels like one of those projects that is appealing if you do like the binary level vulnerability research it you can get payouts kind of like a bug bounty for what you do there but it's i guess more also on the dev side so binary side and more on the like tool dev um but the cool thing with it is also that like when you implement a fuzzer here it's not like they just give you this payout for actually doing the integration and leave it at that but every bug your fuzzer finds that other fuzzers aren't finding you're also getting paid out for that so um it's just an interesting place to spend some time, perhaps get, I mean, a little bit of passive income out of it, assuming you're actually doing something novel enough to warrant, like, new findings. But, you know, it's some it's a project to keep in mind. Um, if you're wanting to spend a little bit of time doing something, it kind of gives you a little bit of a monetary incentive um, on doing that. Uh, current exploit asks, I wonder if you can add support for some library if you're not the maintainer of that library. I'm, yeah, I'm not actually sure about that. Um, I mean, if you're going to start maintaining the integration with OSS Fuzz, you might just kind of de facto be making yourself uh, one of the maintainers for it, but I guess you're not officially a maintainer. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. I guess I usually think about OSS Fuzz a bit less in the sense of um, going and implementing... A project into it and more just about the fact like you can improve the fuzzers and do that development work i'm not too familiar with kind of the flip side of that integrating a project into the fuzzer although that is something that's kind of covered here yeah i'm assuming it it has to do with the license um like it, you know if it's like an open or uh I, I can't think of the license names right now for some reason i'm having a bit of a, a brain fart on that but yeah like some of the more open licenses you probably could uh, that said, you know, I'm not like a IP, like copyright lawyer or anything, but, um, yeah, it's an interesting question. I'm not sure of the answer on it. Um, but I imagine as long as the license is somewhat permissive, you probably can integrate support into OSS fuzz, uh, without being the, the main, like a maintainer, but. Well, I guess with that, um, with OSS fuzz, I think there are going to be some changes that would need to happen on the library side too, to support, cause it does like the continuous integration aspect. Uh, with those other libraries yeah. to build them so you would have to at least be able to commit into that other library you couldn't just like pull your own version of the library and fuzz that yeah for obvious reasons 
All right. Um, but yeah, not too much to talk about there. Just wanted to, you know, do like a, you know, announcement of it, I guess. Uh, give us some attention because I think it could be uh, interesting to some people who are interested in the binary podcast. Yeah, and I'll also just add a Rudimal called out one aspect here, which is this paragraph that says, we've operated this successfully for the uh, past five years. And to date, OSS Fuzz reward program has awarded over $600,000 to over 65 different contributors. And I agree, Rudimal mentions there, I'm surprised that so few contributors, that's 65. Um, and that seems to be for the past five years. Like the 600,000 across that, like that is a lower number than I would have expected. Thinking about it. Um, I mean, this kind of fuzzing research is pretty niche. Yeah. So it's not super surprising to me. Yeah, like, I'm, the main place I actually end up seeing a lot of that being done is when I'm reading, like, fuzzing white papers and academic papers where they're integrating with OSS fuzz. Um, which, I mean, there aren't that many papers that are actually doing, I guess, a good, I mean, don't get me wrong, there are plenty of good papers out there, but there's a lot of fuzzers out there that don't actually tend to find a lot um, in some of those papers I've read. Yeah. Yeah, fuzzing is kind of an art form, and it's difficult to come up with novel research in it because it's been so thoroughly explored um, for a lot of projects. So, yeah, it's it's not too surprising for, for me. All right, so uh, we'll jump into some vulnerabilities now. Uh, next up, we have a, a very old heap underwrite vulnerability in XNU's data link interface layer, or DLIL. Uh, and this bug has been in XNU for 19 years, and it's... The root cause is basically an int overflow or an int truncation issue when creating an interface. Um, so for those of you that can see the stream, they have a bit of code up here that's relevant. Uh, you can see when an interface is attached, uh, it'll try to get the next index, put it into a signed 32-bit integer. Uh, and then later on, when it actually stores that index into the IFP, it truncates it down to a UN16. So if you can create you know, hex FFFF interfaces and then create another one, that final one will have an index of zero since it'll overflow the width of a 16-bit integer. And when ifnet attach goes to write the if address later, um, there's some like weird semantics there. But basically, there's two uh, objects that are used for tracking. Like there's the ifnet address, and then there's the if index uh, to ifnet. Uh, and the ifnet addresses is indexed through if index minus one. So when you cause that interface index to be zero, minus one will go out of bounds. Uh, in the in the negative direction, so to speak. Um, now you would need to be root to exploit this issue, and while in many cases that kind of kills the purpose of exploiting the vulnerability on X and U and Apple stuff, root isn't the end all be all. So a root to kernel privesc would still be valuable in some way, shape, or form, as I understand it. Uh, obviously not super valuable, but there is still a bit of a privilege barrier there. Uh, he also speculates it might be possible to exploit this over USB by pretending to be like 65,000 NICs, but practically that wouldn't really work because it would take hours for that to to happen. And then Apple also now requires the device to be unlocked to approve connection from USB. So uh, you couldn't just do it from like, you know, a, a locked state. Uh, what if I just happen to carry around 65,000 network adapters? <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe. <laughs> Uh, that said, it would probably be tricky to exploit it from that context too. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. 
that said, like the bug, um, the fact that they do this kind of double indexing, uh, where they have the two values that use the same index in different ways, that's just kind of sketchy to me to be doing that in the first place. There is probably a reason for it, but seeing that is definitely something that would kind of pique my interest a bit, I guess. Just seeing the fact that, like, oh, they're using the same value, but one you've got to remember to always put a negative. Now, in this case, the vulnerabilities are what I'd probably kind of hunt for with that. Um, although, he kind of calls it out at one point there, mentioning, like, the fact that they load this into an integer and then store it as the unsigned 16-bit. Like, that kind of truncation that happens, like, it, the integer will never have the range going beyond 16 bits, so it shouldn't really, um, like, why do they return as integer? He does raise that as a question. I mean, we've talked about signed versus unsigned before, and I think there's value in having, kind of, being able to do this minus one check to check on the error, but, um, yeah, let's see if I can find... Yeah, he mentions here, it seems... It seems that we agree on the correct fix, although it's strange to keep the return values in. I could see keeping the return value assigned, but yeah, when the size can't go over, it does feel a little bit weird to me to do, really just to do the truncation of it. To turn it, or to bring it down to the 16-bit integer is another thing that might pique my interest, especially when you see that signed to unsigned typecast. That's just something to keep an eye out for, but Really, the weird thing to me is the use of the same value in two different ways. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a bit of a code spell for sure. Typically, I only really see these intruncation type bugs in like super old code, like early 2000s code for whatever reason. I guess just at that time, uh, this class of issues wasn't really thought about. So they just, you know, kind of use types willy nilly, not really thinking about the implications of them. But yeah, uh, this is definitely one of those problems where it's just because it in, it was inherited from such old code. And when you start talking about the network like interface layers and stuff, that's that's code that nobody wants to touch. Nobody wants to break that code. So it makes sense to, kind of, to find this kind of issue there. Um, exploiting this issue was uh, very tricky to do. Uh, unfortunately, he wasn't actually able to take it all the way, but he does go into what he tried. Um, so... Getting into some of the challenges there, for one thing, the array that you can go out of bounds on being that ifnet addresses array, um, it, it'll it get reallocated when it hits like uh, the limit for that bucket. And when it does, it doubles the space for the allocation, right? So it's doing that double indexing. Um, so it gets pretty large. And while you can do large memory allocations via kalloc large and xnu, uh, it directly allocates from the virtual memory subsystem and it doesn't go through the heap allocator. So massaging the heap to get something useful adjacent to that ifnet addresses array that you can utilize the out-of-bounds write on is pretty difficult. Um, a little further down, he actually, he does like a, a list of all the conditions that you would need to meet to really exploit this. Um, so, you know, obviously you need an allocation that you can trigger from user space. Uh, Ideally, it would persist. That way you don't have to race like the allocation being freed and something else stealing it or something. Um, it also has to be large, like greater than one megabyte, and it has to fall into the this KMEM range uh, ID pointer zero range. I'm not sure what the uh, what the deal is with that. It's something specific to the XNU memory allocator. Um, and then on top of that, the allocation also has to be uh, multiple of a page size. So there's a lot of conditions you have to meet 
he did actually find one object that looked promising, uh, being the allocation of the new O files array in FDALloc for allocating file descriptors. Um, as the O file size is nine, which we thought was really weird, and I kind of agree, it's weird to see like an unaligned size like that. Um, but in order to meet the size requirements, though, like of hitting a really large allocation, you'd need to create like 300,000 file descriptors, which is technically possible if you're root because you can increase your uh, file per proc user limit. Um, but even after all of that, all you can really seem to hit are the file flags for the FTP. So yeah, it didn't really seem immediately useful. Um, there might be some way to take advantage of it, but he he didn't go any further. He decided to call it at that point. But yeah, I mean, even though the exploit didn't work out, there are some nice tidbits and background information in there. So it's cool that it was included, and it's nice to see what paths were taken, even if they don't necessarily work out. But uh, yeah, it seems like a very tricky vulnerability to exploit. And he concedes there might be a way to do it, but yeah, the exploit here just uh, couldn't make it all the way. Yeah, that's kind of a uh, kind of often a challenge when it comes to these sort of um, uh, constrained out of bounds writes, where you don't really control how far out of bounds you're writing. You can't really target where you're going to write. Because in this case, like you're stuck with writing at that like minus one index. It's pretty far out there, and you've got to get something to land there. Um, and yeah, in this case, that just turns out to be pretty difficult, and that's kind of the case with a lot of those sorts of bugs, where it can be really difficult to groom things, especially when you've got just the one right in just the one exact position versus having more of like a linear, just being able to execute multiple times with different addresses. In this case, it's another thing. Um, it's always, like, it's a network interface, because it's, you can't move that around too much and, like, get the array put somewhere else or attempt it with another object or something. Like you could with a um, uh, something uh, that gets reallocated more often, I guess. Yeah, you're pretty limited by the initial object that you're getting the out of bounds right on, um, because it's such a weird object. You're just you don't have a lot of options. So, yeah, and yeah, like you said, that's that's fairly often the case in in these kinds of areas. Like even if you could, if you could have hit this, um without all of the reallocations like if it wasn't on like only that 600 and or 65,500 whatever um if it wasn't only there and like you could hit it while it's in those smaller blocks or other allocation blocks you know you have a few more options but gain this one just restricting it oh no it's still i think it's interesting to see his attempts at it and what he tried even though it didn't work it's still really nice to see that information because i mean you learn a lot even in failure yeah. All right. So uh, for our next vulnerability, we have a Chrome heap overflow that was found in the wild by Google's threat analysis group. Um, this one's coming out of WebGL. The POC is pretty funny with how like short and simple it is. Um, for those who can see it, you can see it's just like four lines. Uh, they just like create a canvas and a document and uh, um, get a context and then blend colors on it. So fairly simple POC. Um, the vulnerability and how it works, though, is pretty interesting. Uh, and it, it basically has to do with the texture manager and texture objects for uh, OpenGL, GLES. And the fact that while usually the max number of MIPMAP levels for a texture is computed in the texture manager uh, and is set using this max levels for target function, um, which is responsible for initializing the, the level info vector, um, 
so like in normal cases everything is kept in sync um the vector size and the max levels is going to be kept in sync there but in the case of textures being created from a shared image it sort of bypasses the texture manager and manually sets, uh, sets the mipmap level to one, um, which is a problem because the texture manager's valid for target routine is typically used for validating any accesses using the mipmap levels. Um, and because the texture manager wasn't made aware um, of the max levels being changed to one, it could allow out of bounds access from certain methods. The one they call out here is uh, texture set level cleared, which would try to fetch the uh, texture level info and use it to update um, update the texture info. Yeah, can't really comment too much on that because it's getting into the specifics of GLES, uh, which you know I'm not really familiar with, especially in the context of how Chrome is using it. But uh, yeah, I mean it, it's basically just a that kind of side door issue where you have this special case that isn't going through the texture manager. Um, and so it's easy to violate some assumptions there. Uh, the fix was pretty simple. They just introduced a new function to check the size, of the level infos vector before calling valid for target at any of the call sites. So it, it was a fairly simple fix, but uh, yeah, I mean, again, just one of those issues where a special case uh, wasn't considered properly for, for dealing with these textures. Um, they state that this was like fully chained. Um, since you have a nonlinear buffer overflow with a controlled offset, uh, it's a fairly powerful primitive to have, especially in browser, as I, as I usually say. So uh, they were able to derive an info leak and, and run a ROP chain and everything from it. Um, as per usual with the Project Zero in the wild post, they speculate on how this could have been found. They think it's likely it was found through manual review, um, just because, like, you know, finding the uh, the mismatch between the the hard code and max levels argument uh, seems to be sufficiently interesting to attract a reviewer's attention. Is is what they say there, um, but they say it could have been possible that it was found through like a custom GPU interface fuzzer that was targeting GL uh, in in the context of Chrome, but. Yeah, they, they think it's more likely it was found during a, a manual review. So, yeah, I mean, pretty interesting bug. Don't have a ton of information on it, but uh, we do have the root cause at least. Uh, and, you know, as I always say with these browser bugs, could be fun to see what you can do with it, see if you can take it to a full exploit too, if you're bored. Yeah, the root cause, and I mean, fairly powerful primitive. Like, you know, a lot of browser bugs tend to get pretty complex here, whereas this is... Um, the exploit chain seems like it would probably be a bit more straightforward than a lot of uh, what we've seen in the browser. Especially with Chrome, yeah. Uh, jumping back a little bit, Rudimal says, uh, this is for the, uh, for the OSS fuzz topic. Uh, he says, you do have to be an established project committer for new libraries, um, but you can still increase coverage for any of the existing ones to get up to 5K. Yeah, so to be eligible for like the full ideal payout, uh, you would have to be like a maintainer of the project, I guess. Um, but if you want some of the smaller contributions, like in improving coverage and whatever, you can still do that outside of the uh, the maintainer chain. So yeah, yeah it makes sense. Depending on how they actually judge what's considered good enough for the coverage, like there might be a lot of room for that, especially when you look at, uh, we talked about the, I think it was an open SSL bug. Um, one of the certificate things, I feel like that must have been open SSL. 
Um, the X509 like, stuff? Yeah, and the fuzzer yeah. there, that was integrated into OSS fuzz, but it was, like, not hitting that code whatsoever, and, like, at a very high level, it was just missing a lot. Um, so I feel like if that's an example of what a lot of the projects are like, you might be able to claim a few of those with not a Okay, so he mentions Rudimo mentions a maximum ten percent increase of line coverage, minimum, yeah, or minimum. Sorry, yeah, maximum. They won't pay <laughs> you if you uh, give it too much improvement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, honestly, OSS fuzz is something I've kind of want. I've considered like taking some time to spend just to see if I can get some money out of doing that. I mean, it sometimes it feels like you can get a decent pay. Just from that bit of work, I'm probably underestimating some of that though. But I don't know. I think it's a cool project from Google, so we gave it that shout out. Um, yeah. Although another thing saying no, one thousand per ten percent. Uh. So if you're interested, I take a look. Um. Jumping, I guess, wrapping up on this current bug. There was also the question. This is an iOS bug, and I mean, considering this is Chrome and on iOS it's all running Safari, I don't think so. I think this is mostly going to be Chrome on Android. So open, what was it OpenGL? Yes, or whatever. Um, I believe is the mobile thing. Uh, yeah. So like GLES like, is for GL for embedded systems. So yeah, uh, typically right. you'll see it on like mobile and IoT type shit. Yeah, I knew the ES had some some meeting like that, but I couldn't remember what it was. But yeah, so I'm I'm guessing this is more like Chrome on Android, uh, rather than browser or iOS, because we still don't have real Chrome on iOS. Yeah, I mean there is a bit of history to Chrome where Chrome like uh, Chromium forked from WebKit, but that was long ago, uh, and something like you know GLES would would probably be. Like not something that was inherited from from WebKit, so yeah, prob probably mostly an Android thing, not really iOS, but yeah, uh, not too much more to say on on that one. For our final topic, we have an out of bounds read that was uh, posted by GitHub Security Lab uh, in CMark GFM, and I'll let Z get into this one. Yeah, and this one's just kind of fun, relatively easy uh, vulnerability here. It is a out of bounds access where. We've got this validate protocol function, and the idea of that is it's taking, um, in their example here, they've got this like to Kevin example com that's two colon then the email address. The idea of validate protocol is that's going to take in a protocol, so uh, like mail to, for example, would be a protocol in this case, and it's one that it actually looks for in the source. Uh, then it'll take in the data and it takes in this rewind. The rewind, um. The whole system here works a little bit weird in the way that they're accessing, like in data, they're doing take a look here as it's iterating over the length of the uh, length here is the length of the protocol string. It's going negative rewind minus I. So kind of accessing it like backwards as it goes to the length. It's starting off, uh, should be pointing uh, when you take minus rewind, uh, sorry, minus rewind. I can't remember if the minus one. It, in the other code, it does rewind minus one when it ends up swapping and make this call. Either way, it's basically working backwards from that colon, comparing those characters one by one. Um, 
from the protocol string. The problem is that it doesn't know where data or it doesn't have any check to make sure it doesn't go out of bounds of the actual data allocation. So in this case, even though it has the string just to and then colon, um, if it's comparing that with uh, with this string mail two, it's going to you know compare the colon, it's going to compare the o and then the two, and then it's going to go for you know the letters of mail, um, and it's going to compare it out of bounds ahead of the buffer, which is a little bit of an interesting place to go out of bounds rather than after the buffer, but um. Yeah, so it ends up going out of bounds. They don't think this is exploitable. Mentioned here at the end, we believe this bug is harmless in practice because out of bounds read accesses the malloc metadata. It's a heap allocation. They're going out of bounds ahead of it. So at best, they're getting that metadata and it's not really doing anything too important with that. You'll get the return. Uh, you could maybe... Um, I don't know, Spectre, if you've got any ideas on how one might be able to exploit that. I could imagine, you know, some... If you repeated this multiple times, you might be able to get, like, a timing attack style thing. But because it's parsing this as, like, a big blob of text and it just gets to that, I feel like that sort of attack is almost completely unreasonable and unlikely to work out because it's not like you could just cause the function to be called and do a timing attack. Um, yeah, like at best, you're looking at a, like a timing based side channel, but like it's a very bad one. Yeah, and, you don't like, have. Not useful. I mean, this is I believe it's marking or sorry, it's reading and parsing like markdown. Um, so this isn't something where you're like feeding it a bunch of text and able to get to repeat it or something. Um, so I kind of agree. This one doesn't seem super, super exploitable. Uh, but I will say this whole code pattern of using like the rewind and iterating the string backwards to do the comparison, it is just so non-intuitive that like, you know, again, this is the sort of code that just stands out as like, what the heck are they doing and why? And part of this, like part of what is going on with that, um, it just has to do with how they're actually processing all of the strings. And it kind of makes sense in their post-processing, that they're doing this sort of rewind thing. But it really stands out as something kind of weird to at least look at and make sure they're getting right, because it is very unintuitive to read. And so anybody who's going to be thinking about this from a security perspective, or even just writing the code, you know, they may not be able to compute it or keep that same mental model. Like, it's very easy to get this wrong versus doing yeah. just a forward iteration of it. Yeah, and then the nature of the vulnerability is kind of similar to the XNU bug too. It's it's sort of funny how similar they are, um, though very different in like their impact and how they could be utilized. But yeah, it's unfortunate that this bug is probably unexploitable. Like there there might be some weird way you could take advantage of it, but it's one of those cases where you probably just want to look for a better bug uh, if you really want to hit the target that badly. So yeah, and I guess I'll uh, mention. Uh... It only, at least in my quick search of the code, like it uses this function to check for like mail to as a string in XMPP. So it doesn't have like any big long out of bounds thing that you might be able to trigger something else because it's going a lot further and out of the malloc mem or out of the like malloc metadata that might give you something more. Like this is 
relatively limited by where validate protocol is being used with these fixed strings for the actual protocol that's comparing with that decides how far out of bounds it'll potentially go. Yeah. So it's unfortunate, but you know, that's just how it be sometimes. <laughs> with yep. the, especially with these text-based parser bugs. Um it's it's difficult yeah. to get a powerful primitive in them. Yeah, even with like um just being in that, like you're left in a lot of case with those one shot exploits, which which just add the extra challenge regardless. Uh, just yeah. given the type of input it gets. Yeah. And uh, with that said, that's pretty much all the topics that we have for this week for the binary episode. So, uh, Z, if, unless you have any last minute thoughts, we'll wrap it up here. Yeah, no thoughts and no uh, shout outs this week. All right. So, uh, as always, thanks goes out to everyone who tuned in. Uh, if you want to catch past episodes, you can find recent ones on Twitch and all of them on YouTube, Spotify, and, and other links on Anchor. Uh, if you want to join our Discord and follow us on Twitter, links to those are also down below or in the chat. And with that said, we'll see you next week.